0: Earners, what's going on? Listen, EYLU is relaunching, revamping, retuning. That's right, we're creating a new educational experience that's more expansive. Shadi, tell what we got.
1: Yes, 2023, we got a lot in store, a lot planned for you guys. So you know that EYLU already includes monthly financial planning calls with me, book club calls with Troy, real estate calls with mg the mortgage guy access to the home buying blueprint volume one and volume two part of the revamp will include 27 local chapters from across the united states live interactive teaching hands-on not just pre-recorded videos plus 15 brand new curriculums
0: the biggest just got bigger head over to eyluniversity.com that's e-y-l-u-n-i V E R S I T Y dot com. See you there. Ernest, what's up? Look, I want to put you onto something that's been making waves in the personal finance world. If you've been relying on Mint to manage your finances, I got some news that might startle you at first. Mint is no more. But hold on, because every cloud has its silver lining. And in this case, that lining is Monarch Money. For those of us searching for a robust, user friendly alternative, monarch money is stepping up to the plate and from personal experience it's hitting a home run let's get personal for a moment managing finances can be a maze of confusion stress and time consumption believe me i've been there jumping from one finance app to another hoping to find that one platform that simplifies everything then came monarch money its ease of use powerful features and sleek design transformed my approach to managing finances what truly sets monarch apart for me though Don't hesitate. I used it. You should go over there and start using it now.
2: Because marketing is not endorsements. Marketing is storytelling. Endorsements are endorsements. Marketing, the best marketing companies in the world, they never tell you a price, but they show you the product, but they never tell you the price. Honda's going to say, this is the Civic 2023 with leather. It costs you 36000 That's a different, that's a sales thing.
1: That's a totally different thing. All right. All right. So, I want to start with uh, Mr. Bridgman. I want to, so it's crazy because when we first started Earn Your Leisure, I told your story and I want to retell it. Correct me if I'm wrong. You played in the NBA years ago, right? And you never made like maximum amount of money, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Uh, But during the off seasons of your career, you worked in a Wendy's. Um, people might have thought that it's kind of odd that an NBA player is working in Wendy's, but you were working in Wendy's to learn the business. After you were done playing, you uh, purchased a Wendy's franchise, and you grew into the largest franchisee owner of Wendy's and Chili's in the world, I believe, right? He said, yes, keep going, keep going. And amassed a fortune of over $600 million in the process and then sold this portfolio of fast food franchises and purchased the Coca-Cola bottling uh, distribution centers for Canada, right? And then also purchased Ebony Magazine and just the whole thing. So <laughs> it's a very interesting story and oh. something that like, we covered. So did I do it justice?
3: You you did, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's also
1: the king of Louisville. He, his real estate
0: portfolio is incredible. What else did we miss? Proud father. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I I didn't quite get the question or what you said. I was
0: saying, did we miss anything?
3: Oh, um, no. That pretty much sums it up. But <laughs> <laughs> the the only thing that I I got to get out there. Sit next to this gentleman right here, who handles all of these players making. They make a little bit of money nowadays. (laughs) But uh, when I came into the league, uh, the total salary for 12 ballplayers and three coaches, total salary for 15 people when I came into the NBA was $1.8 million. So you divide that up. And uh, when I left the league, I, I made the most money uh, that I made my last year, and that was uh, $350,000. And uh, that's, that's a lot of money. There's no question about that. But when you talk about taxes and family that needs money and all of that, uh, I left the league knowing that I would have to have a job doing something else. And I worked as you mentioned, Wendy's, but I also worked for an insurance company and I worked at Howard Johnson's in the, in the off season, actually went back to law school for four summers and you can't get a law degree in four summers. So don't try that, but, uh, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And the only reason I stayed with Wendy's was I figured I'd hire somebody to run it and they could make money for me while I figured out what I was going to do in life after basketball. And, uh, I got an offer from the Milwaukee Bucks to be an assistant general manager, making $50,000 a year. But as attractive as that might have been at that time, I wanted to see what I could do myself. I, I wanted to see what I could, could, could grow. I didn't want to have somebody telling me I need to be at work at 8.30, and I couldn't get off until 5 o'clock. And, and so that's why I got involved with Wendy's. I figured food, people always need to eat, so we'll see what that how that develops, how that goes. Uh, Hold on, let me just follow up.
1: So how were you able to scale that Wendy's business to become the number one franchise owner in the world?
3: Well, uh, we started off uh, like most companies at that time. If you're black and you're going to get involved, they're going to put you in the black area town. And so it was no different. We started in Milwaukee because I spent all those, those years there with uh, five stores in the, in the inner city of Milwaukee. And they were not very good restaurants, but I figured if we worked at it, you could turn things around. And I'll tell you, the, the average volume of those five restaurants was only $600,000 a year. And you're not making any money at that volume. Today, those restaurants... And my son runs them, so we still have a lot of them, but they they do over $2 million in sales. And how do you do that? By getting involved with the people and letting people know that you care about them. Now, how do you do that? Uh, Back at that time in Milwaukee, if you got stopped for any traffic violation, they uh, took you to jail. It was a crazy law that I'm glad they've changed, but where was all of our people at? They were in jail. So we were bailing people out every day. And and I could take you through other things that we did to help show people that we cared about them. And once they realized that we cared about them, then they cared about the business. And they cared about us. And we grew. And as we grew and added more stores, we were able to promote people from a general manager to a district manager to an area operations person. And after a while, we had a whole lot of people making over $100,000 a year. And, uh, and you would say, you know, how did that happen? And it was in, in what I would call the, a real American dream. You could come go to work. If you had just natural common sense and you were willing to work hard, you could make a good living for yourself. And we had people that went on from there and became franchisees on their own. So I turn around and it was a matter of helping people. And then one day I looked up and we had 275 Wendy's restaurants and then I turned around and we had 125 Chili's restaurants and then we had 500 restaurants you know and 25,000 people working for us so.
0: Scaling looks likely. My brother Rich first congratulations Clutch Sports 10 years in business. It's interesting I'm listening to Junior speak and he was thinking he had to get a job after the season was over and your job is to make sure that the guys are doing stuff that are productive outside of basketball when their seasons are over, in addition to their contracts. But I wanna congratulate you. I wanna run up some numbers, all right? Anthony Davis, a client, three years, 186 million. Draymond Green, four years, 100 million. Fred Van Fleet, three years, 128 million. Jeremy Grant, five years, 160 million. DeJounte Murray, four years, 120 million. Oh, and Jalen Hurts, five years, two hundred and fifty-five million. My brother, you've had a great summer. <laughs> can he? Can he come back and represent me? <laughs> we'll negotiate it. You've had an amazing summer. Two billion dollars in contracts, but I know it's make not some good noise
1: year. for that. Two, $2 billion dollars in contracts. Number one agent, sports agency, owned by a black man. Owned by a black
0: man. That's a fact. But it's bigger than money with you. It's more about the education. I want you to talk about that because we can see what happens if you're doing something outside of the field.
2: Yeah. Uh, First, I want to start off by saying I I really appreciate this room. Um, It's a really beautiful room. So thank you guys for for showing up and and wanting to hear us talk. Um, Yeah, I think I had a great summer, you know. Uh, There was some in there, Quentin Williams, you know, signed a $100 million deal, but I said this, and I'll say it again, and this is how life come around in full circle. Ironically, out of all those numbers you name, the most important deal I did this summer was for a kid named Chris Livingston, and he was the last pick in the draft this year. He was the 58th pick in the draft to the Milwaukee Bucks, and the reason why I felt that that was the most important is because... I think people underestimate how important it is to just have a start at something. People really underestimate that. And so for me, to be able to give this kid an opportunity for him to have guaranteed money to where he don't have to scratch and claw and he can kind of take some time to develop as a ball player. and. For me to make this deal with the Milwaukee Bucks, understanding who they were as an organization, it wasn't about the money for me, it was about growth opportunity for him. And so I I I I placed them there. I I picked up the phone and called teams 37, 38, 39, 40, and tell them, don't draft them. Please, don't draft them, because I had a better situation for them. And yeah, although these guys are making the money they're making, it don't matter if your habits aren't great, right? He made... That's real. Like, Mr. Bridgman made what he made, but it didn't matter as our relative because his mindset was, I'm going to continue to do more despite where I land. Oftentimes, as you make more, you become more complacent in your approach to things, right? And the way you think, your mindset. And I always try to get guys to understand that it's important to continue to have drive. It's important to continue to have a positive mindset, positive energy while doing well, right? And so that's just where I sit in the business. I've been blessed, you know, and and as much as it as much as it's been about me, you know, I started with me and a young lady. Her New York apartment was my New York office, and my house was my Cleveland office. And now we employ 85 people, and we got three different offices around the states, around the country. So that's important to me, you know. But it's been a it's been a long road, but at the same time, a a, a blessed road. And, I, and, I, and you know, when I walk around, I see people. What's important to me is to just try to give somebody a minute of my time, could you never know what that does for their day. And so that's my mindset as I, as I continue to walk this journey.
1: So, Rich, I want to just ask you a question. Um, you are very intentional about you're not an agent, right? You're a CEO of a company, Clutch Sports. You, you, I changed my title, by the way. What's your title? I'm the Chief Client Services Officer.
2: In addition to being the CEO, because ultimately I'm in the client service business, my life is basically theirs. So the foundation of my business is in client services. So although I'm the CEO, my title doesn't mean I can't carry the gym shoes or I can't go pick up something to eat for a client I don't have any pride, you know.
1: You know what my title is? You know what my title is? I don't. CVO. Chief Vibe Officer. Because we got to curate vibes at all times. So well, I, I, that's well I appreciate that. <laughs> that's, that's important. <laughs> it's needed. Very important. So I want to talk about what's your mindset in branding yourself like that? I'm looking at the, the merch that you have, Clutch. You're, you're not a regular agent. You're, you've looked at yourself as a business owner, with different verticals, and I don't think any other agent has really done that. So what was your thought process? And that's a valuable lesson for anybody that's in business to like not pigeonhole yourself into one thing and always think bigger. Well, my initial thought
2: process was to not make it about me, right? So when I was naming a company, I wanted to name it something that could actually grow legs. If I name it Rich Paul Sports, now, you know, there's a ceiling there. But by naming it Clutch, I can diversify my portfolio, right? All I had to do was really build the brand and build that awareness. Today, it has a global awareness. So I'm continuing to create verticals. So as you see what I wear today, this is Clutch, the apparel brand. And I partnered with New Balance basically because I felt like they were the best partner for me going forward, where there would be the most growth opportunity. And my mindset behind doing this. As much as it was, I was a kid, I loved sports, I loved fashion, and that's something I always wanted to do. I also understood how hard it was for somebody that looks like me to get an opportunity at the major brands that we excessively spend our dollars from a disposable income perspective, but there's no reciprocity. None of these people in here can really actually get a job at the competitors, right, at a Nike, At adidas and they and when I say that I'm saying there may be a few but there's no pathway there's a ton of designers in here there's a ton of marketing curators in here there's a ton of creative innovative people in here and I'm sure they got a closet full of I don't know how many different brands but where's the reciprocity as it pertains to come back to our neighborhoods and our communities and so I want to build a company in which As you go out and support this brand, just understand that it's being built to support your kids and your kids' kids down the road. That's my vision. And if I'm able to do that, that's the real way for me paying it forward.
0: Mr. Bridgman, there's this, this saying that wealth is quiet. And when we talk about wealth inside of NBA players, most people think Jordan, they think Shaq, they think LeBron but they never think of you inside of that wealth conversation when it comes to NBA players. What, what do you say about being laser-focused on the goal of helping people add in value and having money as the byproduct? It, it's the byproduct of the value you add.
3: Well, you know, one, one thing I would say, which, uh, you know, growing up in the Baptist church and they sing a song that if you, if you don't help someone along the way, then your living is in vain. And, and that's really what it's all about, you know. Uh, some people, well, first thing I would say is, you know, I, I, speaking for myself, I don't believe I'm any smarter than anybody in the room like that, and, and probably as said earlier by uh, Robert Smith and, and, and Steve, you know, you, you probably, a lot of the people in the room are much farther ahead than where I was at your age. And I had to go learn a lot of things um, I mean, I remember I got a restaurant. I didn't know what a P&L was. I had never had to worry about a P&L. So I had this accountant that I had had for all these years. Well, I spent a lot of time in his office asking question after question after question, learning about what makes up a P&L, what's amortization, what's depreciation. I did the same thing with the attorney. You know, I had paid him all these years when I was playing, just trying to get the knowledge. And, and then once I got to a certain point, I thought back to that time when, it, you know, I said, well, if you're not helping anybody, what are you really doing? And I think a lot of us don't. We look at what we can acquire now, what business we'd like to have now. We don't think generationally. And I think as uh, for a lot of us, you know, the Chinese saying is they plan for a 100 years. And I think if we do that, we'd be more willing to help people because we'd be focusing on our kids and their kids and trying to set people up to be successful down the line. And we were, we were talking about the athletes and the kind of money that they make. And, and I'm proud that they make and happy that he's able to get the contracts for them. But I think you can kind of lose focus and think that I'm in this Level up here, and you really aren't, because once they stop playing, that income stops. And if you can have the money, what I call wealth is what Robert Smith was talking about, where he is, where it can go for generation and generation, and generation. That should be what the goal and the plan is eventually. You know, not to have two Rolls Royces in the driveway, something like that.
0: Rich, can I ask a follow-up to that? Yeah. Because as we're talking about that education process, when you're taking on a client, how important is that they're thinking about life after the career before you involve them and signing them to, to clutch? It's very important. Um,
2: and I'm telling you, man, athletes, they live a tough life. It looks great, but when you think about all they endure and the pull down, you know, I always tell my family, let me be your back line of defense, you know, don't, don't allow yourself to think that what's mine is yours, but if I'm your back line of defense, then, you know, we can really stay afloat. For athletes, we all have survivor's remorse, right? We all have that feeling that we, we feel obligated, and like Mr. Bridgman said, I got guys 22 making $200 million over the next four or five years. I got several of those guys, right? And By the way. (laughs) But but the reality of it is I'm constantly telling them that's not a lot of money based upon where you're starting because you're starting from zero, right? So how do we understand how to compound that? Because they're done at 33. Everyone's not going to be play to their 40. They're done it when they're 33. That money's taxed. You know, they're paying a 55, 51% tax. Not to mention jeans today, the ones they want that they're buying in excess, which they probably don't really need that, cost two grand. It's not the same. His jeans cost $25. It's a difference. And so it's all relative. No athlete can afford to five private all the time. Yet we see so many athletes on the Instagram flying private. I fly Delta. I cannot afford to fly private. And that's okay with me. I, you know what? And I'll fly, I'll, I'll sit in the Comfort Plus as comfort, well. Comfort Plus? Yeah, because I'm just trying to get where I'm trying to go to make the money. I'm not trying to spend the money. You know? I'm, I'm trying to get there, you know? And, and the times I do fly private, you will never see it on Instagram, because it's not for show. And so I think that again, it's just this mentality. You have to value infrastructure in any business, in anything, whether it's a family infrastructure, whether it's a business infrastructure. You have to have that. You can't scale without the infrastructure. But again, growing up, all we know is how to compete amongst one another. We don't, see, he's been around a long time. These guys have come in and out the league. They don't aspire to be him, right? But they want to be the rappers, etc., because they want to do things in excess. He's got an unbelievable portfolio. Imagine if we had our own fund that we allow him to oversee as well as someone from Blackstone or someone from Apollo or someone from Aries. And then we compounded just 20% of that income. I don't need the whole tree. In the circles I run in, they're, they're, they're much more wealthy than I am. But I, like I tell them, I just want a little piece of the bark. I don't need the whole, you know, I don't need, I just want to get in the back seat, ride, I'm going to shut up, I'm going to sit back here, you don't even notice I'm here. That's how I look at myself, and I, I really believe that. And so I just try to get my guys to understand that because we come from an environment to where we only want to conquer. We want to conquer That's why we're killing each other. We want to conquer. There can only be one king, which allows you not to collaborate. If you don't collaborate, then that means we're not communicating. If we're not communicating, then that means we're unable to build what? A community. If we don't build a community, then how are we gonna build anything generational? You just saying some shit that sound great. You know what I'm saying? But that's not... It's not realistic without taking the proper steps. You understand what I'm saying? And we've all been there. You know, I come from just as tough place as anybody in the world. But at the same time, I can't have the same habits once I made it out. I can't go back and glorify the same things and not give it up, right? But if you're gonna ask me for a job, you also have to be capable of doing the work. I can't give you anything, right? You gotta be capable of actually doing it once that opportunity is given and so it's a two-way street and and I just you know I, I, I stress I I really stress this all the time I want to be able to hire as many people as I can right but you gotta have the capabilities and so you know let's match each other's energy from that perspective and like he said everybody's not gonna get rich don't, that's not realistic but you in position we didn't grow up next to people that have careers they had hustles jobs some had decent jobs very few had good ass jobs and careers it's just the truth and so we're trying to fill our way through and life is all about managing transitions you have to be able to, that's why a car comes with a transmission to understand those gears you got to know when to park when to reverse when to stay neutral and when to accelerate that is real in life itself as well. We've all been in a situation where we had to make decisions and say, you know what, let me just back up a little bit or let me just park it right here before, or if it's going great, let me hit the gas and, and get to where I'm trying to go. And so that's how I think every day I wake up, I've never celebrated one deal I've done, not one. When I start working with LeBron and for LeBron, I only, the most money I ever made working for LeBron was $48,000 a year. That's the most I ever made. I was only on his salary for two years. That was, since '06. i I've been off his payroll, right? We're in 2023. It was important for me to get off of his payroll as fast as I possibly could. That was very important to me. Hold, hold, talk about that. Yeah, talk about you that. know,
3: before, before you jump in there, he, he said one thing that, that I think kind of went over the, went over the crowd that, that, that I think is very important, what he's doing. And, and back in my time, I was president of the Player Association, and we used to always deal with the agents and talk about what they w- weren't doing and how they were taking advantage of guys. What he said was he's, he'd like to take his guys, take 20% of their money, and put it in something that can grow and they wouldn't get it until later on so they wouldn't be able to use the money or blow the money but the thing that I, I, I and, and I don't know whether it's something inherent with us is we've got a lot of guys if you take them making a lot of money and if they got together and somebody put them together and they combine just part of what they earn in a fund in a way That it could benefit people who are trying to improve themselves, start their business, do all those kind of things like that. I don't know why that hasn't been done. I don't know why someone hasn't been able to get everybody together to do that because collectively they have the ability to do that. But it's a mindset that I think we have to get over. Because I can tell you why, Junior. I, I can tell you why. It hasn't been
2: done because society has conditioned us to always try to outdo. So because we're always trying to outdo one another, if you start a production company, then I wanna start one too, instead of me saying, okay, well, let's do it together. I don't have to have the same ownership of it, but let's just do it together because unify. is a lot more we can do. If David Geffen and Jeffrey Katzenberg and Steven Spielberg can start dream works. What the hell makes you think that you can't? And need and they didn't start it when they were broke. They were already well off, very wealthy when they did that. But that's a different mindset, right? When they're in these, when we're in these clubs, everybody's competing with how many sparkles, how many bottles I got coming. And that's cool. Enjoy the life. But in order for you to do that, we also gotta make sure that we're doing the other thing, what's most important was really allowing us to buy those bottles, right? Because I'm not saying don't enjoy, I'm not a Debbie Downer, I'm not saying don't enjoy it, because I definitely enjoy mine, the fruits of my hard labors. But <laughs> but what <laughs> I'm just saying, it, 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 it's, it's just so important because if we're able to do that, then that's not necessarily putting a dent in the, you know, in the kitty from that perspective. That's just us enjoying having a great time. Actually if you're doing it the right way, you actually budget for your vacation like that. Every year, I, bu- I know exactly how much I'm gonna spend on vacation every year. If you're doing it the right way, that's how, you, that's how it really is supposed to be done. But it's, just, it's, it's just, just this competitive thing, we're conditioned. But yet and still, if you go to the Sun Valley Conference, those are all the biggest companies and top executives in the world, who are competitors in the marketplace, but at this particular conference, they're sharing information. But yet, we, we get in the club and don't speak to each other. Well, how does this even make sense? It doesn't. It does not make sense. So, yeah. that's how.
1: And that's one of the reasons why we why we created InvestFest, right? Where it was like, just for that, we can get 20,000 people here and have a vendor marketplace and have it. And one aspect is people learning from people like yourself, but... I think the most beneficial aspect is people that are networking with each other outside and end up in the marketplace and afterwards, because their relationships is ultimately going to take you the furthest in life. So, but Mr. Bridgman, I wanted to ask you a question. You um, had a very impressive portfolio of restaurants, obviously over 500 and, you know, was extremely, extremely wealthy and extremely, extremely self- successful and had, you know, a mastery of that. What is your thought process in liquidating your portfolio and going into something totally different? Um, How does that? Earners, what's up? Look, I want to give you all
0: a little peek behind the curtain of producing Earn Your Leisure. It's a lot more than just sitting down and chatting. It involves meticulous planning, recording, editing, and then promoting each episode to ensure it reaches all of you. And if you picked up any of our merch, then you know there's a whole extra layer of logistics from inventory management to shipping. Running a podcast is like running a small business. And speaking of business, I know many of you entrepreneurs are involved in e-commerce. you understand how crucial it is to streamline operations and cut costs wherever possible. That's why I want to talk to you about ShipStation, the multi-carrier shipping solution that integrates seamlessly with all your online sales channels. It's all about optimizing your shipping, connecting with expert partners, and freeing up more of your time to focus on scaling your business. Now let's talk about our experience with ShipStation. This tool has been a game changer for us, especially with automating routine tasks. Being able to manage everything from one dashboard and print shipping labels with just a click, absolute lifesavers. Plus, the discounts we get on shipping costs are incredible. Honestly, it feels like we're saving thousands. And as our show and merch sales have grown, ShipStation's robust automation and reporting features have helped us keep up without missing a beat. For those of you who get overwhelmed by order volumes, ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard is a dream come true. You can import orders from any sales channel, apply shipping preferences automatically, and handle customer service issues right there. Not to mention the savings with up to 89% off carrier rates like UPS, DHL Express, and USPS It's no wonder over 130,000 companies stick with ShipStation long-term. So, are you ready to turn your shipping challenges into growth opportunities? Head over to ShipStation.com and use promo code EARN for a free 60-day trial. Again, that's ShipStation.com, promo code EARN. Start streamlining your shipping and scaling your business today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Earners, what's up? Look. Today, I want to talk to you about something that's been on my mind, a real weight on my shoulders. You know, we all have these moments, big or small, that just stick with us. When we don't talk about these things, then they can start to affect our lives in unexpected ways. That's why having a space to express these feelings is so important. I know firsthand the benefits of therapy. It's been transformative for my friends and family. Therapy can help you learn crucial skills like setting boundaries and developing coping strategies. It's not just about dealing with major events. It's also about enhancing your day-to-day life, allowing you to become the best version of yourself. So if you've been thinking about therapy, BetterHelp can be a great option for you. It's entirely online, which makes it super convenient and adaptable to your busy schedule. You start by filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can even switch therapists at any time if you feel the need without any additional cost. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com earnyourleisure today to get 10% off your first month. Remember, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com earnyourleisure. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Head over there now.
1: work, and most people would be extremely scared to do that, right? Like, why did you do that, and what was the inner workings of doing that?
3: Well, uh, you know, I talk about generational wealth, and and what what I did was I separated the restaurant business that we still have, I separated the Coca-Cola business, and even Ebony and Jet, put them all in a let's call it a trust, because that's what it is, and that's, that's for the kids. That's something, you know, I, and we haven't talked about getting involved in Coca-Cola here in Atlanta, but, uh, you know, why'd you do that? Because when I looked around at the people that were bottlers, and there's not a lot of them, there's only 64 in the whole United States, but there were people that were fourth and fifth generation, people that have been doing that for over 100 years, and I won't tell you how much money you make on a bottle of soda, so you, 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 you don't need to know that. But anyway, uh, so I separated that for them generationally. That's something that can be passed down and down and down. And, and everything else that I look at uh, is over here. So if there is a risk or you taking a risk or you're investing in something or helping somebody do something, it has no effect on where you are today. And so that's what I'll do in helping, helping somebody, or or saying that this makes sense, it'll all come out over on this side, not over on that side.
1: Can I just have a follow up for Rich. You said something that was extremely insightful um, with the car analogy. That's pretty ill. Like no one to park, no one to accelerate, no one to cruise. That's a, that's a good that's pretty good information. I want you said something that was key. You said you wanted to get off of LeBron's payroll as soon as possible. And you know, people create their own narratives, but a lot of people might say, well, it's easy for him to become the number one agent because LeBron, right? LeBron's his guy. But I know you always... It's actually harder. Go ahead. So talk about, talk about that and talk about why it was essential for you to get off of his payroll. Why it's essential for you to not be in that type of role.
2: Well, it was, in, it was essential, number one, because prior to, I've always been someone who was, had a pretty entrepreneurial spirit, right? I, my dad was a store owner. We made our money selling beer, wine, and cigarettes. You know, I grew up playing people lottery numbers at seven and eight years of age, right? I learned about marketing by selling now and laters and Jolly Joes and, and Cherry Clans. And, you know, that's how I buy what you came and bought in the store. This is how I learned about supply and demand. So when my dad would send us back to the wholesale store, he would sit in the car and let me go in and pick the candy. I couldn't pick the candy that I wanted. I had to pick the candy that the people would buy because that's how we made our, our money. And so through that, I learned customer service and the importance of customer service, right? Because the community is, is, is the job. We gotta make sure that we take care of the community. And so that allowed me to have that, that mindset. But to answer your question, LeBron wasn't obligated to do anything for me or anybody else. The only person he was actually obligated to do something for was Gloria James. That's his mother, right? I was so happy that I wasn't his brother, like blood brother, because at that point there's a guilt that comes into play, right? And if, if I screw up, can he really fire, can you really fire your brother, right? It, you know, and so for me once I got my opportunity and when I got the call when my mother called me and said you have a check in the mail and when you guys read my book this is all it this is not this is, some of this is in there but when my mother called me and said you have a check in the mail I didn't I wasn't expecting that I didn't even know how to really read a check my mother showed me how to do so but when I called and asked what my job was he said he didn't know He said, I actually don't have a position for you at all. I don't have one, and I don't know when I'm gonna get one. So now, I got two choices. I'm I'm definitely not a yes man, and I love to shop, so I like to go to the, I can't wait on you to go to the mall for when I get to go to the mall. That's not gonna ever happen. (laughs) So, because of that, I did the things that I created value. I was everything from party promoter, before he was even able to party. Stylist, jeweler, you know, until one day in the Nike meeting, he asked me, what did I think? And it's Phil Knight, it's Charlie Denson, it's Lynn Merritt, it's all the top executives at Nike. And now I'm saying, well, I'm not guessing here. This is what I know, because I've had every shoe that ever came out since 1989, whatever it was. And so I took the floor. Well, that led to me getting a job at Nike because they seen I had value. So when I was there, I learned cut and sew. I learned all of the legal aspects of it. I learned the footwear business. I, loved, I learned the marketing business because marketing is not endorsements. Marketing is storytelling. Endorsements are endorsements. Marketing, The best marketing companies in the world, they never tell you a price, but they show you the product, but they never tell you the price. Honda's going to say, this is the Civic, 2023 with leather. It costs you thirty-six thousand. That's a different. That's a sales thing. That's a totally different thing. And so, I wanted to make sure that I was always creating value, and I also didn't want because, in life, you know, you can't. You can only ride the horse for so long. Can't get comfortable riding somebody else's horse. That don't make sense. So you have to continue to create value. So that's what I did, and then. The reason why I went into the agent business is because I felt like our young men were, the the game was being monopolized by people that really didn't understand them as people. They saw them as commissions, but they didn't see them as people. And so if I only see you as a check, I'm not going to invest in you, right? When the talent runs out, I lose your number and I get the next talent. Well, that didn't sit well with me. And so I wanted to create something that they can go to sleep at night knowing that, you know what, I can trust Rich and I can trust the people that Rich is putting around me because my integrity and my respect for you as a person won't allow me to do anything that would be detrimental to your future and damn sure not gonna do anything that is gonna have you look at me a certain way because where I come from, there's a major consequence for that. But in the business I'm in, those consequences don't exist. But I didn't know any different, you know, we was just just trying to survive the day, sometimes the hour, depending on what's going on around the corner. So I brought that energy and and those pitfalls to an industry that didn't know that and they didn't know our children. And so even currently today, people talk about, it's easier with LeBron, oh, he just did this because LeBron bit, they must don't know what the word envy means. They must not understand how hard it is to walk in a room and people tell you, oh, because you represent this person, I don't think you're the right person for me, even though he's built this big portfolio and I have a ton of other guys that's built great portfolios as well and done well, but for some reason, it's just hard for people to do business with people that look like, I'm not gonna say for people, I'm gonna say it's hard for our people to do business with our people at a high level and respect them and not cheat them and not try to say, I gave you the opportunity so you should work for free. No, I gave you the opportunity, you're doing a great job, I'm gonna pay you what you deserve. And I talk to my guys about this all the time and for anybody else out there, if somebody out there is doing something for you, I don't care if they're your sister, cousin, I don't care if they're on a drug, I don't care about any of that. How you treat people matters. It just really does. And I want to pay you top dollar. I want to pay you more. Right? Because when we go to Van Cleef and Louie and Chanel, they're not giving us no discount. And we're not asking for one. We want you to know how much we pay for it. So when I, you know, but when I come to you with my labor to wash your car and I wash it and you had the juice in the cup holder and all this stuff, but you want to, pay, and you don't, don't even want to tip me. Well, that don't work. You get what I'm saying? And so I instill that in my, in my clients from day one. When we go to a restaurant, I pay attention. I watch how they call a waiter or a waitress. Ain't no, hey, yo, yo, no, no, excuse me. Can I have, thank you. And then when that bill comes, we're gonna make sure they get 25%. You understand what I'm saying? That's how it should be. And if it's like that, when you think about the ecosystem for an athlete, an athlete need a barber. They need a handyman. They need a nanny. They need a driver, they need a, uh, their wives need a makeup artist and a, and, a, and a cosmetologist. You know, they need all these things. This is the ecosystem of the athlete. There's jobs available. But the reason why we don't care to do them in abundance is because how you treat somebody. If you treated them differently, then, and you explain to them, hey, you're not gonna get, you, you're not gonna get a seat at the table when we at the club. That ain't what this is, this is about, but I actually need you to do this. It's a consistent pay for at least 12 years for the right person, at least. And while you're doing that, you build your clientele, right? Because there's a draft every year, people coming in, a real estate agent. My guy's just renting places in every city around, uh, around America, but it's not many. You get what I'm saying? And if it is, they show up late. Just, like, the habits matter. Right? And so this is, this is very important. And I tell my own siblings this there's an ecosystem. Find a lane. If you find a lane, you got an opportunity. If you got an opportunity, then you make it work from there. Turn this up. One, one plus one should equal five by the time we get done with this. Yeah.
0: That was a lot, Rich. That's a lot. As you were naming the athlete's ecosystem, I saw Mr. Bridgman and he's thinking to himself, Man, I ain't had none of that. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you, Mr. Bridges, you, you talked about generational wealth, which is an interesting concept, right? Because we haven't seen generations of wealth in our community. And so I know with your acquisitions, Jet, Ebony, right? How do you go about approaching it to sustainable wealth, right? Because you have your kids, and I know the kids. Some of the kids kind of run some of those businesses. So how do you approach mergers and acquisitions with the intent of this is the succession plan for my legacy?
3: Well, I, I think the first thing you have to do uh, is you have to have the next generation involved. And you have to have them uh, talking about it. And and they have to see the importance, and they talked about earlier, of hard work. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, one of the great one books that I really like, Malcolm Gladwell, in one of his books he talks about, in order to be really proficient at something, you have to work at it for a 1,000 hours. And uh, and I thought about that, and, and I thought, well, you know, i put in over 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours uh, of playing basketball before I got to the pros. And uh, so when I got into the restaurant business, what makes me think that, I should be good at it without putting the work in. And I think a lot of times, and I see this with, some, with athletes, they, they think because I got to be a great player that I should go in as the CEO or the executive vice president without putting the work in. So that's the first thing I stress to my kids is you have to understand, and all, I have three kids, and all of them had to go to college. They all had to get an MBA, and they all had to go to work for somebody else. Before they got involved with, with, with what we were doing. And not, they didn't have to come to work. It was their decision if they wanted to come get involved with what we're doing. And the way things worked out, one of them runs the restaurant side, one of them works with the Coca Cola side, and, and my daughter runs the Ebony Jet side. But be that as it may, we meet as a family. We're we not gonna clap and, for that? Like, you know what I'm <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So what they'll tell you is, I don't do anything anymore, which is about correct. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but we meet as a family and and we talk about the next generation, their kids. I've got five grandkids, so you just have to start planning for what's going to happen as they get older, and and that's what what I've seen, especially in the Chinese culture and and the other people that aren't like us, look like us in the room, they, they think about those things, or we just think about getting gratification today. And uh, we need to focus on the long term, and we need to focus on, you said, working together, because as I said earlier, in, there, earlier in, in some of the presentations, if we just did business with each other, whenever we could, there'd be, I don't know how many millionaires in this room today. But we for some reason don't want to do that. Yeah.
1: So, Rich, I want to ask you about um your collaboration and partnership with UTA. You know, we have a great relationship with UTA and um I know that was something that was done a few years ago. So what's your thought process in doing that and how does the dynamics of that relationship, you know, unfold into what it is today? Well, I had a I had two choices. Um, I
2: wasn't, you know, I owned all my business. I wasn't looking for a partner. Um, but what was happening was the athlete's desires was changing. And so I didn't want to be somebody that's just, you know, trying to figure it out in a cookie cutter way. And so I had two choices. I could either go raise a couple hundred million dollars, then go and find the, the expertise for the, the departments that I needed to grow in, or I can find a partner that actually came with that expertise. And so UTA was actually that. They were the partner that came with that expertise. And so I was just trying to do what was best for the, the clients. Like for me, I'm always thinking about I don't want to be the agency of yesterday. I don't want to be too, too happy about what's happening today. I'm really trying to build the agency of tomorrow and figure
1: out what that looks like. And so that was my my decision with UTA. So UTA, for anybody that's not, I should have said this, United Talent Agency is one of the top Hollywood talent agencies. They represent um, actors. Some of the biggest actors in the world,
2: writers, directors, you know, in music, Carol G, Bad Bunny, 21, Post Malone, and, you know. Earn Your Leisure. Yeah, Earn Your Leisure. By the way. Yeah. And comedy, Issa Rae, Kevin Hart, you know. Um, but, and a ton of others, right? Timothy Chalamet, Jonas, you know, a lot of people. And again, that was my thing because my clients, they don't need all those toys in the toy box. But if you want to play with, you know, like, I want to have enough toys for you to actually play with. Whether you choose one or 100 of them, I wanted to be prepared to have that. And for me, again, don't box me in. I'm, I'm not an agent. I'm... Um, what I would say, I'm a innovator that have agent capabilities. And so I never wanted to be boxed into just being an agent, although I don't plan on stopping anytime soon, even though they want to push me out to be an owner of a team. but I have no desire to own a team at all. I don't have enough money to own a team and I don't like the front. So with, with so with, with that being said, I just wanted to continue to
0: grow and, and it was really about the, the athlete and their families. Rich, I want to follow up and maybe for both of you. When we actually visit, so UTA is here in Atlanta. So shout out to UTA and shout out to Atlanta for being there. Yeah, right? UTA being in Atlanta it's was Atlanta. something that was very important to me. Exactly. So when we visited, it was impressive because you were able to combine two things what you do professionally, but your passion for ultimate uh, investments, which is art. And so when we visit the, art, the, the, the showroom and the offices, it's nothing but black art throughout the entire building. So talk about your love for art and talk about the intentionality of what you did behind that.
2: Yeah, so I have a, I'm on the board of LACMA uh, and I'm in the, I'm on the, I'm on the acquisition committee with Elaine Wynn and um, I'm on the education committee because I wish that I actually paid attention in art class instead of playing tunk, playing tunk or falling asleep, you know. Um, <laughs> But today, I wish I, you know, I wish that kids understood the importance of, of art back then. And I wish I knew who Kerry James Marshall was and who Sam Gilliam was and, and, and you know, and who Barkley Hendricks was back then. Today, I own some Atlanta artists, you know, Alfred Conte is the artist I own, and I own over a hundred works. But if you go across the Atlanta office or the L.A. office, there's a ton of, African-American artists, both figurative and abstract. And I teach my kids today and my clients, as they come into the league, one of the things I do is I take them around to these museums and these galleries to help them better understand that there's more areas to park your finances in than just clothes and shoes and, and, and cars because all those are depreciating assets, right? You don't need 60 pair of jeans, although we all had them, but you don't need that. And so I get them to invest. You know, I have one of my favorite pieces I have is an Ernie Barnes piece that I couldn't tell you when I bought it, what price it was. And what. It, and I'm not looking to sell. I'm just saying. And so I get my clients to, a lot of my clients are into art now. A lot of them are into different investments. Um, and so it's, it, you know, it's. It's one player at a time, but it's happening. And so the earlier we can do that, the better. So I just try to continue educating. educate. I don't know it all. I don't pretend to know it all. But I just try to continue. And Mr. Bridgman don't know. I'm going to have a standing call with him once a month going forward because I got to pick his brain. I'm going to be on him like a chief suit. He don't have about. no idea, you know. But it's just important. It is important. And so if you guys want to get into other things, You know, I tell my guys, when you're on the road, you're in Detroit, when you're in San Francisco, when you're in New York, Chicago, all these places have galleries and all these places have museums. Don't spend all your time at a hookah bar. Don't spend all your time playing a Call of Duty in your room. Get out and go to these galleries and spend some time there and learn some things.
0: We thank you, Rich.
3: (laughs) And say we... I'm only about 40 years too late because <laughs> we didn't we didn't have anybody like him when I was coming up, and so you kind of get to appreciate art. And anytime anybody comes in our office today, I, I take them down a the hallway and, and say, I want I want to show you this. And what is it? Uh, there's four oh uh, not quite murals, but uh, and, and there are four paintings done by Nelson Mandela, and and he he drew them of. Uh, when he was in prison, and and there are various pictures of parts of the prison that he was in, and then underneath it is the actual photo of the prison, and he signed everyone, and they're documented that it was done by him, and I make sure that everybody sees that when they come in, and the other thing that I make sure people see, I have a, a picture of the Little Rock Nine. I mean, it's a drawing, but it's autographed by each one of the nine people that were involved in the Little Rock Nine. And wow. now you can't get that because they're not all alive, but I make sure that everybody see because the mindset, what that does is just changes the mindset, changes, the, the just changes everything when people come in and see that in the office. So. But, but, to, but I'll say this. Society
2: didn't teach us that that was cool. The same reason why our kids don't play soccer. It wasn't in our schools. We only played the sports that gave us fortune or fame. And so how do we, you know, we have to regurgitate a lot of things that was built around us, but we can, you know, it's not too late to start.
1: So Rich, uh, my last question for you is, walk us through what it looks like actually negotiating contracts with, teams or negotiating contracts with nike or you know adidas for, for your clients you represent some of the top clients that's ever done it so what walk us through the boardroom
2: well just in case there's some people in here that work at rival agencies i'm not going to give you what the secret sauce because mcdonald's don't give us the secret sauce to the big mac so i'm not going to give you that but what i will say i will walk you through Most people think that you go into a room and you yell and scream and you get something done. That's not how it works. The player and the agent has a job to do. We both have a job to do. The player's job is to allow me to go in and have some type of leverage, whether that's through character, because nowadays your character has to match your talent. Right? When the shit get bigger than the cat, and I said this on another podcast, but I'm saying it today, they're going to get rid of the cat. right? It's just just how it is. But what you're going to start to see now going forward is you're going to start to see the half and the half knots in our league, because we're basically at what they call a soft, hard cap, which is a very tough thing. So the middle class, which is happening in society, they're removing the middle class, and you're going to have the lower class or you're going to have the upper class, right? It's the same thing happening in sports. And so now more than ever, guys have to come in ready on all, on all fronts. Character, professionalism, approach, right? Willingness to listen. And more importantly, starring in your role. I understand you was a star player on your high school team. I understand your parents think you're the best player in the world and they only live in your world. But let me tell you what the reality of it is, right? And so now, as I'm going in there, I don't need you to average 25 points to get you 25 points type money, right? Because everybody's situation is different. If your team doesn't have any cap space, but your value to the team warrants them to keep you around, then we don't need... I don't need... You can... You can Tristan Thompson, average 6.6 rebounds, he got $82 million. It's fully guaranteed. But ultimately... I have to be in a position to where I can show that you have what they call gradually, you're gradually getting better over the years. So don't score 25 in year one, 12 in year two, and eight in year three. Now we're going backwards. But if you score eight, 12, and then 15, and you have great character, great professionalism, great approach, then I put all that in the middle, and now we make the deal, right? And now I have to just, when I... When I first did, well, there's several deals, but I'm also thinking this may be your last deal. So now I have to do what's best for you at all times. I can't do what's best for me. Right. And so whether that's being whether that's me understanding that, okay, I can't sit here and argue about this little item for Darius Garland when I got a hundred and ninety three million dollars guaranteed already, you know, agreed upon. I can't make it about me, it's not about my head, my newspaper clippings. And that goes all the way to a minimum deal, right? And so, as I'm going into each negotiation, number 1, I'm never telling the player a number because if I tell you a number, now that number's stuck in your head. If we get there, you're going to say, "Okay, I'm good." We may have more room to go. So, it takes a lot of planning. I have to plan, I have to I have to educate the families. Because there's a thing called friendly fire. So I've had a situation where I've had to move a client out the house, put the for sale sign in the yard because I want the team to think, oh, not only is he not coming in this arena, he's not even in the city. He's gone. I had to fly down and educate the mom that when the owner's wife call, do not talk about whether you guys are anxious or whether you're excited or whether you, if anything comes about, comes up about a contract, Hey, talk to Rich. I'm just mom. I'm in here frying chicken for the grandkids, whatever the case may be. I don't need you because, you know, we all have grandmothers. Sunday morning when Granny got out of church, she in that kitchen, no one's allowed in there. You're not allowed in my kitchen when I'm in negotiation. That's just how it works. If you want the best result.
3: You know, I think I can still, I can still get eight points a game.
2: I got you then. <laughs> I got you then. And the last thing it takes, it also takes patience. And the one thing that you can't make a mistake as a player in the NBA or any sport, comparisons are the thief of joy. They just are. You cannot compare yourself to what somebody else got. Somebody's situation is different. And I don't advise you to do this in life as well either. And so when you think about that, I'm able to get things done at a high level if you're able to have poise and patience. A negotiation has no time clock on it. The negotiation starts when we start it and it ends when you sign on the dotted line. That could be one day, that could be 10 days, that could be 100 days, right? And so be patient. We've seen Lamar Jackson this year, he was patient. Jalen Hurts signed his deal, who came right after him? Lamar Jackson, why? Because he needed something that allowed him to go in and say, hey, you guys telling me what I'm not? Well, let me tell you what I am. We, that's us helping each other. And so both of those boys got their money this year. A lot of money, right? That's important. It's a half billion dollars going to two young men. That's important. And so, but the families are so important. You have to educate the families and they have to be willing to allow you to do your job. Right? That's why you picked me. Allow me to, because I'm not a tiptoe agent. I don't walk on eggshells and I'm not gonna over explain myself especially when I got the receipts. I got all the receipts. I got $4 billion worth of receipts right here. Right?
1: Trust the process. Make some noise, between your Bridgman and Rich Paul, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, guys.